All right, thank you guys for joining us this morning. You can have a quick seat if you'd like. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill. And I just want to say welcome. Uh, we're glad that you guys are here. Um, we're excited to be together today and just celebrate all that God is doing in our midst. I want to start out with uh, just a, a couple of quick announcements. We were scheduled, if you saw the, the baptismal outside, we were scheduled uh, to have a baptism this morning. Lanisha Lewis uh, was supposed to be baptized today and uh, be praying for, uh, for Lanisha and the Stewart family. They've got uh, an illness that's kind of running through their family right now. So just pray for their health. So they couldn't be here this morning. We are hoping to reschedule that for next Sunday. Uh, so we'll definitely keep you guys updated and kind of let you know what's going on with them. Uh, we are still planning on having a, a picnic after gathering this morning. So Overton Park, uh, if you're familiar with Overton Park, there's a, an area called Veterans Plaza where there's a large uh, statue of a soldier. Uh, so we meet right there by that soldier and there's plenty of green space where we can kind of spread out. Uh, so if you brought a prepared picnic lunch, uh, feel free to join us, and if you want to go grab something to go, just want to have some intentional time to be together and some time to just hang out with one another. So hopefully the weather and the rain holds off, and uh, that's still good to go. But right now we're, we're planning on having that picnic after the service. Um, we're grateful to be together today. One thing we know is that God doesn't only work on Sunday mornings. And so we, we gather as the church on Sundays to, to celebrate all that God does, not only during this time together, but all that God does throughout the week, all that he's actively doing in our lives. And so one way that we can encourage one another as the body of Christ is to share, hey, what is God doing? Where do we see evidence of God's grace throughout the week and not just here on Sunday morning? And so we want to take a minute. I'm going to ask Riley. Riley's going to help me out this morning. Riley, come grab this microphone. Uh, we want to take just a couple of minutes, and we would love to hear from you. Where have you seen evidence of God's grace in your life over the last several weeks? We love to hear just little stories of what God's doing, what God's been up to in your life. And so uh, we want to take a couple of minutes and give you an opportunity just to share. It could be something big. Sometimes God does really huge, amazing things in our life. Sometimes God does really small things that, that can make a big difference. And so we would love to hear from you. Where have you seen evidence of God's grace in the last couple of weeks? You can slip a hand up if you want to share. Riley will bring you a mic. Um, I am leading a um, coffee group with the, some of the youth girls. And um, it's something that I just felt like God was putting on my heart, oh, probably about a year ago. And uh, I just kept saying, no, I don't really have time for that. And, you know, I've got a lot of other stuff going on. He just kept kind of whispering in my ear that he wanted me to do that. And it's just been a really big blessing. We're working on um, sharing our stories with Jesus as the hero of our story and kind of how our story fits into his story. And um, I was able to share my story with them a couple of weeks ago and just was reminded, um, again, just God's faithfulness in my life and his redemption. And we, we draw it out where we, we um, talk about the high points of our lives and then the, lo the lows that we've experienced. And it was just a sweet reminder of how he's been so faithful to me in those low moments and how he, he's just always with me and that I can face anything because of him. And then it's just really neat to help those young ladies work through their stories and um, be prepared to share the hope that they have in Jesus with their friends. So I'm excited about what, what we're learning together and how God is teaching us. Um, uh, 
So Gracie has come to teach at a school for one year, and so she's going to live with us for a year. <laughs> That's great. Um, sorry, I'm not good at public speaking. Uh, I've been gone for 12 weeks now, just with work and projects, and haven't been able to participate much. Hey. Um, but um, the Lord's just kind of keep, kept a steady presence in my life just through the church community here. No, you can't. <laughs> through the church community, um, both here and just his presence in general. Um, just encouragement and bringing me back here. So it's been really good. So, mm. Anybody else just want to share some evidence of God's grace in your life? All right, thank you, Riley. I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me again and join me in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we are thankful that there is, that there is evidence of your grace, God, all through our life. God, just in, in little ways and in big ways, God, that you make your presence known to us and felt to us. And God, ways that you provide for our needs and God, ways that you remind us of your love and your grace towards us. And so, God, we just want to pause and say thank you for that, that you are not a God who is far away, uh, but God, you are a God who desires to be near, who desires to be in relationship with your people, that God, you invite us in, and God, you invite us to, to sit at your table. So, God, we just want to say thank you. And, God, this morning as we gather as your church and as we gather as the people of God, God, may we just be reminded of your goodness and your grace towards us. God, we're grateful to be together today. And, God, we pray that your spirit would speak to us. God, give us open minds, open hearts. God, to hear from your word. God, we believe that your spirit speaks. And so, God, give us ears to hear. It's in your name we pray. Our call to worship comes from Isaiah 25, 1. If you'll read it with me on the screens. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. God is faithful and sure. And this next song talks about lifting him high. I'd ask that we do that together. Lift your voices to him. If you would bow your heads with me for just a moment, we're going to spend a time of confession together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and all the wonderful things that you've provided for us through your son, Jesus Christ that he died on the sun for, uh, the cross for us, excuse me. And God, we just come to you with the sins of this week. We lay them at your feet. We kneel before you together, broken, but we know that your son had mercy on us again through his death on the cross. And we're so thankful for that, God. We ask that you would come here this morning and be with us as we continue to worship you. In your name I pray, amen. If you would read with me on the screen, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Have you heard the saying, you are what you eat? Well, we are what we consume. Food, social media, music, movies. God calls us to behold His glory and to be transformed into His same image. Let's defy those worldly things together that make us less like God and behold in His glory. Give Him the praise and worship our God and Father truly deserves. Good morning, kiddos. Uh, today's story is called Treasure Hunt, and it's in the Bible. It's in Matthew 13. One day, Jesus was telling people about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is wherever God is king, Jesus told them. It's wherever God is, it's wherever God is in charge. It's where he fills, you, fills your heart with his forever happiness, and you stop running away from him, and you love him. But sometimes people couldn't understand things very well. So Jesus helped them by telling them stories called parables. Jesus said, God's kingdom is like a hidden treasure. And then he told them this story. Once upon, a, once upon a time, there was a man working in a field, digging. So there he is, digging. But what he doesn't know is that in the field, there's a buried treasure. So dig, dig, dig. Clink, clank, clunk. Uh-oh, his shovel bumps into something hard. Hello, what's this? He picks it up, dusts it off. It's a chest. It's rusted and locked, but inside, creak. He pries it open. When he sees inside, it takes his breath away. Beautiful, glittering, gleaming, twinkling, sparkling, precious jewels. It's a treasure chest. He wants that treasure. He needs to get that treasure. He must have that treasure somehow. Even if he has to sell everything that he has so he can pay for it. He quickly buries the treasure again, runs home, and sells everything he has. He takes the money away from the sale and goes and buys that field. Now he owns that field and the treasure that is buried in it. He runs back, digs up the treasure again. Jesus said, coming home to God is as wonderful as finding a treasure. You might have to dig before you find it. You might even have to look up before you see it. You might even have to give up everything you have to get it. But being where God is, being in his kingdom, that's the most important thing, anything else in the world. It's important because you have to give it up. Jesus told him, because God is the real treasure. God has a treasure too, of course, a treasure that was lost long, long ago. What was God's treasure? His most important thing, the thing God loved best in all the world? God's treasure was his children. It's why Jesus had come to the world, to find God's treasure and to pay the price to win it back. And Jesus would do it, even if it cost him everything he had. Please bow your head in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this story and how it shows that we are, we are your treasure. We're the thing that you love the most, the thing that you can't live without. And we thank you that you would send your only son down to find your treasure and to bring us back to you. I want to pray for these kids that their lives would be stories just like this, just in this storybook, that their lives would influence the people that they are around and people that they will meet in the future, that it would show them how much that you love them and how much that you love all of your children. I want to pray for Brad as he prays today, as he teaches today, as he preaches today, that you would speak through him and that we would have ears to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Mercy Hill Church. 
Good to be with you. If we haven't met, if you're a guest who's with us, uh, my name's Brad. I'm one of the elders here, and we're so grateful that you're here. As you watch that video, I want to encourage you to do something that I rarely do. Go ahead and take your phones out for a minute and pull our church website up, mercyhillmemphis.org. And if you scroll to the bottom, you will see information for Gospel Fluency of the Heart where you can click on this event and where you can register. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that, whether it's this morning or, or later as you get home. There was some misinformation that was shared. Um, tickets are about $40 for this event. At one point, I think it had been published that they were like $6. Um, that's incorrect. There is a promo code. Um, I probably shouldn't say this on our live stream, but oh well. Um, Soma Family, and you'll get a little bit of a discount. So S-O-M-A Family, all one word. And um, encourage you to register. That's coming up in just a couple of weeks. And really appreciate our team that's been working hard. If you, We've got about a dozen volunteers who are committed to be here at 7.30 that day and to stay until 4.30. They'll be he helping with uh, check-in through Eventbrite in the back. And they'll also be helping, we're offering Chick-fil-A that day, so they'll be uh, helping to serve food at lunch. And there's a resource table where we'll be selling some books um, for the Saturate team, as well as information table for Soma School that's upcoming. We need two more volunteers, and so you can save, it's like $110 by the time, if you're a couple, um, or if you're a single, it's about $55 by the time you add uh, $40 ticket plus about $15 for food. So see Samantha in the back if you want to volunteer. And if you want to save like $55 that day, you get in for free. So two more volunteers are needed. Uh, these two guys, Jeff Vanderstelt and Jeff Schulte, both of these men have been hugely influential in my life. Anytime that I have the opportunity to spend time with them, um, I try to spend time with them. And so you will benefit greatly. Uh, from what's going to be shared that day. If you would, grab a Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're continuing through this series entitled The Joy-Filled Life. Today we're looking at verses 12 through 18. And primarily looking, I've entitled this message, How to Follow Jesus in Hard Times. How to follow Jesus in hard times. We all face hard times. We never know when they're coming. Uh, sometimes we don't even realize that we're facing hard times until we find ourselves in the midst of them. How to follow Jesus in hard times. Beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I don't know if you've ever had a huge desire 
that goes unfulfilled. Or maybe dreams that turn out far different than you had ever imagined. That was Paul's life. Paul longed to go to Rome to preach Jesus there in the center of the empire. And if you know your history well, all roads led to Rome. And so most certainly, if Paul has the opportunity to to preach there, then surely the gospel would go out to all the world. But keep in mind, the Roman Empire at its height, it was the most extensive political and social structure in Western civilization. But instead of traveling there to preach the gospel in great amphitheaters to a city of over a million people, Paul finds himself in chains preaching not to hundreds or thousands, but only to one at a time, one soldier at a time. What a disappointment that must have been. I don't know if you have any disappointments that you're currently facing in your life. As you look at life, maybe things aren't turning out the way in which you have hoped. Lots of disappointments throughout 2020 and continuing in 2021. Yet for Paul, somehow he is not dismayed or even hindered in any way. Have you ever known people who are like this that maybe they have a life-threatening injury? Maybe they lose the ability, you know, something dramatic. Like they lose the ability to walk. And it's as if their deficiency somehow emboldens them all the more. As if their weakness is some type of superpower to give them a new lease on life, to give them a new lens by which they look at life, in which they're grateful and thankful and have a perspective that they've never had before. Paul, it seems, is much this way. He had been arrested in Jerusalem. He had been sent to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. Most likely, he'll face the death penalty. Keep in mind, four and a half years before this, he's been in prison. So we're looking at six and a half years of imprisonment in a Roman prison system that moves so slowly throughout the judicial system. And we pick up in verse 12. He's writing to the church at Philippi that he planted ten years earlier. And he's writing to them in order to update them on his condition. Surely they We can imagine their concern as they've heard the troubling reports of Paul's arrest, his shipwreck, his imprisonment. Surely they would have sought information concerning his trial. The verdict. Is he even alive? And so not having email, uh, not having postal mail, not even having carrier pigeon, Paul writes a letter. And this is what he writes. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The theme of today's sermon, you are not where you are by accident. You are where you are by divine appointment in order to share the hope of the gospel. You're not where you are by accident. You're where you are in life with all its disappointments and all the ups and downs. You're there by divine appointment in order that you would share the hope of the gospel. Do you believe that? Is that the perspective that you carry into a Monday morning? If you don't believe that, then likely you will miss out on two things that God has intended for you. 
And there are two things that are hugely important to you. You might not realize it. If you don't believe that God has divinely appointed you, that you would share the hope of the gospel with others and they would come to know Jesus, then you will miss out on kingdom fruit and you will miss out on joy. And those are things that are hugely important to you. When I say you'll miss out on kingdom fruit, what do I mean by that? You will miss out on making a difference that is far greater than anyone you can imagine that you look up to in life. Consider Neil Armstrong, for instance. Consider someone who we know who's gone to the moon. Someone who, uh, how many people do we know who've actually walked on the moon? How influential is this person? If you share the hope of Jesus Christ, you are more influential than someone who walks on the moon. If you share the hope of Jesus Christ and someone comes to know Jesus and you begin to disciple them and see them begin to walk in the way of Jesus and their life is changed, you have made a greater impact. Your kingdom fruit is more effective and more important than the greatest athlete that you can think of, whether it's LeBron or Tiger Woods or whoever might come to mind. Whoever you look up to as being influential, each of these people as they live their lives, the things that they do in their life, if they're not following Jesus, those works end with this life. But kingdom fruit continues. And joy comes with it. As we see people come to know Jesus, there is nothing greater outside of knowing Him than seeing others rescued from sin and sadness and hopelessness. And we find great joy in that because it matters not only for them, but we see that our lives are effective. That our lives matter. And we all want to matter. We all want to make a difference in this world. Paul shows us how to do that. God wants to use you where you are in your job. Listen to me, married couples with young kids. Listen to me, single adults. I'm speaking to people who are looking forward. Oftentimes, single adults are like, I'm looking forward to a point in time in which I'm not so single. Oftentimes married couples with little kids are like, I'm looking forward to the day in which they can buckle themselves in, in which they can reach the light switch, in which they can pour their own milk so that I can sleep in on Saturday morning. God wants to use you, not in the future. He wants to use you today in your job, in your stage of life, in your circumstances in order to share the gospel with people who don't have the hope of Jesus. And as you do, you will see eternal results. You will experience joy. Joy that's unhindered no matter what you may face in life. And if that sounds too good to be true, look at Paul's life. The first thing that we see is that Paul shows us how to follow Jesus in hard times. The first thing that we see is that he has confidence in suffering. First and foremost, he has confidence in suffering. Look at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me 
being thrown in prison for six and a half years, has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul shares a story that's so amazing here. He is chained to the emperor's guards. He is one-on-one. And as he is, he shares his hope in Jesus. And that message is received. And the guards then carry the message into the palace of Caesar. These men carried the gospel of Jesus into Caesar's, into the emperor's palace. To a place where Paul could have never gone. The imperial guard that he talks about, that Greek word is literally translated the Praetorian. They were the navy seals of this day. They were like the renowned, renowned seal team six. They were so powerful that the Caesars actually feared them because at any moment in time they could have accomplished a coup because of how strong they were, even though they were established in order to protect. They were the personal protection team for the Caesars. Yet these men were obviously powerful. And they exerted a huge amount of influence near the throne of Caesar. And the gospel, because of Paul's hope, and because of his willingness to share of his joy in Jesus, the gospel advanced into the empire and even beyond. I want you to think about that for a moment. What difficulties are you facing in your own life? Stop and think about the difficulties that you will face tomorrow morning, or it's Labor Day, let's say Tuesday morning. Difficulties that you will face. Do you see how they can hinder the gospel? Or do you see how they can be used by Jesus to advance the kingdom of God in Memphis? Do you think of yourself as a missionary? Is it your goal that you would win men And women and children to Jesus. And that God would use you for that purpose. If not, it won't happen. I think most people never really see anyone come to know Jesus. Most people don't share their faith. Most people never disciple anyone. Most people will rarely, if ever, have an eternal impact for the kingdom of God. And see fruit from their lives because they have no intention to. They have an intention to live in a different way. Most of us have a perspective that's really different than that. Why don't we have the same perspective that Paul had? This perspective of when we face hardship in our lives... I think the simple answer is we have different goals and values. We fight for comfort and safety and luxury and convenience. I mean, let's be honest. The majority of what Americans are focused on is no longer even convenience. It's luxury. At what point is it enough? At what point is it good enough? We overly emphasize our rights our resume, and our retirement. There are people all across our land who have emphasized their rights so much that when churches demand that we put on masks to enter, and it really doesn't matter what you think about that. You realize that. If you're willing to come under spiritual authority 
and you're part of a church family, and the leadership of that church says, we ask you to put on masks, it really doesn't matter what you think about it. What matters is that you would be, because it's not an ethical or moral issue, but all across our land, people have said, my personal rights are more important than worshiping Jesus. So I'm going to stay away as long as you require me to put on a mask. We emphasize our rights. We emphasize our power. We even, we even emphasize our retirement. You say, why isn't the American church growing? Why don't people win others to Jesus? Why don't people make disciples? Quite honestly, they don't want to. They don't want to. It's not on their minds. It's not in their hearts. It might be part of a value system that they would serve a little. Maybe they would even give 10% of their income to the church. That they would be involved. But being a part of Jesus' kingdom initiative in which he would say... Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. One of the gospels said that as he ascended, he blessed them. And they turned and he was gone. Jesus' thought toward us is continual blessing. He loves us. And he wants to use us. And Paul's entire life was centered around that. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul, who was fastened in chains, likely they were like extended handcuffs, probably about 18 inches long. Chains that were attached to his wrist that restricted his movements because a big strong guard was attached to him about 18 inches away. Anytime that he wanted a drink of water, anytime that he needed to go to the restroom, 18 inches away, there is a soldier. Despite his imprisonment, Paul doesn't see himself as a prisoner. Can you imagine that? Paul doesn't see himself as a prisoner of Rome. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Paul says he identifies himself as a prisoner of the Lord. A prisoner of the Lord. Paul sees that this is God's divine plan according to God's providence. And so Paul's witness is unhindered. He didn't complain, but instead he believed this to be a divine appointment by God. So much so that, that he could say in verse 13, My imprisonment is for Christ. I wonder if we could reach a point in our lives by God's grace in which we could think about the difficulties that we are facing. The hardships that will be waiting on us on Tuesday morning. And that we could say these difficulties and these hardships are for Christ. That in Christ's providence, He is with us. They're for Christ. An application question for you. What current hardships are you facing that Jesus desires to use in your life to build confidence and to spread the good news? 
What hardships are you facing that Jesus wants to use to build confidence and to spread the good news? Because when we are weak, that's when we're strong. That's when we're looking to Jesus. That's when we're saying, God, I need you. Secondly, we see that in times of hardship, we see that it produces a contagious boldness. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul says that the hard times he's experiencing is actually doing the opposite of what we would normally think. So instead of hardening Christians and, and causing them to shrink back in fear, Paul's confidence in Jesus has caused followers of Jesus throughout Rome to grow in confidence and boldness despite suffering. I want to encourage you. There's this quote that I want to read to you. We learn from this that one believer on fire for God, one believer, can embolden thousands with new courage to bear witness for Christ. As we've seen, this is what happened with Paul in Rome. It also happened with Martin Luther in 16th century Germany. With John Knox in 16th century Scotland. It happened with George Whitfield in the American colonies. Susan Wesley in England in the 1700s. Ladies, if you're looking for someone that you want to go back and you want to study um, amongst religious movements, go back and study uh, Susan Wesley. Many point to Susan Wesley, not Charles Wesley or John Wesley, as the woman who was the foundation of the, Amer of the Methodist church. And you say, why? You go back and read her history. She is an amazing woman. Or maybe it would be that it occurred with Charles Spurgeon in Victorian London. One man or woman lit up for God has the capacity to put steel into the backbone of countless believers who live, work, and witness around them. This is the influence of one person when he or she speaks the word of God with courage. One person. What has to take place in the life of a follower of Jesus to have this kind of perspective, this kind of courage, this kind of boldness? I think it's nothing short of a miracle. It's nothing short of the gospel. God who opened our ears and head and hearts to the good news in the beginning is the same God who gives us power to repent of selfishness, to repent of individualism, thinking of our own needs instead of caring and praying for the lost, the hurting, the hopeless. We should be encouraged that God is at work today. Today we're not going to have the opportunity to, to baptize Lanisha. Unfortunately, um, many of you know Chris and Jamie Stewart. Chris is an elder here at Mercy Hill. And Chris and Jamie moved to Memphis about nine years ago, I believe. And uh, they moved to Cooper Young. And God led them to Memphis. And they joined... Uh, they joined our church in the very beginning. And since that time, their family has grown. And just about a little over a year ago, um, they added five foster kids to their family. And so, Jamie's sister also lives with them. So, they are a household of 12. And um, we're not going to get to baptize Lanisha today. Uh, because they are very sick. Chris has been updating Jared and I. Last night it was like 
two are down. This morning it's six are down. And um, we hope that it stops there with the stomach virus. But I was just reflecting on their family and their story. And as I thought about it, as you think about their story, they began to know this family of foster children, this family that got caught up in the foster system eight years ago. And I can remember meeting the mom that we, uh, it was one of our elders and wives nights out. We were going out to dinner and Jamie said, hey, instead of going out to dinner, this family needs a bunch of bunk beds and we have a trailer that we've advertised on social media and we've got a trailer full of bunk beds. Can we go over and set them up? And I remember going, I don't even know who this is. And we went over and we met this mom and we met many kids who were part of the family and that relationship started eight years ago. And about a year ago, just a little over a year ago, five of these kids went into the foster system because of circumstances in their family that were beyond their control. And out of an eight-year relationship, Chris and Jamie said, Sure, you guys come on in. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. As we talk about Paul, and as we talk about confidence in suffering, do you think that in the Stewart family that there has been some suffering over the last year? Yes. I mean, let's just be honest. Twelve people in one house. Chris and Jamie going back to diapers. They're changing diapers again. We're up at night. There's all the different things that have changed in their household. And not just for them, but also for these five kids that are learning new routines. I mean, I can only imagine how much suffering or at least struggle the last year has been. But in the midst of that, Lanisha today was going to be baptized, hopefully next Sunday. And she was planning on singing on our worship team today. So we'll look forward to having Lanisha sing sometime. Lanisha's 17 years old. And she's a part of this family where over, don't miss this part, over eight years of relationship. She has seen a family who has modeled what it means to live in light of the gospel. Now, they didn't share the gospel by being kind. Anyone can be kind. You don't have to know Jesus to be kind. But they lived in relationship with this family. And when there was a need, they said yes. How did they say yes? How did they say yes to so much suffering, to so much servanthood, to so much uncertainty? They said yes because the love of Jesus had been poured into their hearts. And because they had experienced Jesus' love and were committed to follow Him, they were able to say yes to these kids. And over the last year, Lanisha, who's a mom and 17, she has come to know Jesus. And you'll get to hear her story. And you'll get to see now how her one-year-old and her three-year-old's lives will be changed and is being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ because of a family who said, we're willing to enter into suffering. We're willing to give our lives in the everyday stuff of life 
to show hospitality to the stranger, to open up our home, and to love others. Because our life is not our own. And Chris and Jamie, if this were to end in adoption, they will end up with grandkids and kids at the same time, which means their retirement's all messed up. Every plan for sending kids to college and like whatever, you know, your college plan is and buying cars and everything is all messed up. But it's not for the sake of the kingdom. You say, how do you live like that? You live in dependence on the Holy Spirit. And you just live by understanding that God's love has been poured into your heart. And if God's love's been poured into your heart, then He will give you direction. And as He calls you to love others, and you enter into obedience, that He will provide. And that He is writing a story that's far greater than any story that you could imagine. And so even like Paul, if you find yourself in handcuffs, the gospel will not be hindered because God's love's been poured into your heart. And God's going to give you direction. Paul ends this with an encouragement to us. And it's an encouragement not to become distracted, not to give up hope, not to allow others to steal our joy. The third thing we see is this consistent proclamation that's in Paul's life. Look at verses 15 through 18. I love this. Past, this is good for me right here. This is good for people who stick around the church for a while. Because there's drama that goes with church. And there's drama that goes with the gospel. Look at what Paul says. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul was addressing other leaders within the church who had made personal accusations against him and who were preaching Jesus for personal gain. They were in it for themselves and they attempted to hurt Paul and ruin his reputation even as he's suffering in prison. I mean, as if prison isn't enough. And Paul's response is surprising and hopeful. Look at his main concern that Christ is proclaimed. Paul says that's all that matters. Let me ask, is that your main concern? That you would know Christ and share his love with others? If not, then I want to encourage you today. Bring your heart to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you and to pour his love into you. That he would work in your heart through the Holy Spirit to remind you of His resurrection power that's at work in you and through you. As you are confident in your suffering, as you're contagious in boldness, and as you're consistent in proclaiming His great story and His great joy. Listen, maybe you aren't where you plan to be in life. Maybe you feel chained to a job or a stage of life where you're stuck as... Maybe you're stuck as a school teacher who's trapped in a secular classroom. 
or stuck as a mom, confined in your home at times with your kids, or you feel trapped in a stage of life that you're desperately searching to escape, wherever you are, God can use your difficult circumstances as an opportunity to share the hope of Jesus. In fact, it may be your difficult circumstances that God uses to create the opportunity. You're not where you are by accident. You are where you are by divine appointment in order to share the hope of the gospel. I was encouraged by um, a video this last week that Brian Chapel put out. Brian Chapel's written a lot on expository preaching. And he put out this little video in which he said that they had recently moved and he had found a newspaper clipping. And in it, there was a story about a woman, and her name was Ruth, and uh, her last name was unusual, it was Bouillon, like the cubes, like pork bouillon, chicken bouillon, and he said that she had gotten a lot of teasing because of that name as a young girl, but Ruth Bouillon had taught Sunday school for 60 years. And he had taught, she had taught children in Sunday school for 60 years. And Brian went on to share how her teaching had made an impact. So much so that the local newspaper said, could we write an article on you? And she said, well, you can, but publish it after I'm gone. And so after she passed away, they published this article. And Brian Chapel went on to write about the impact that Ruth Bouillon had made Teaching Sunday school to children had impacted his own wife. Brian Chapel wrote about how his wife had been under the teaching of Ruth Bouillon and how that was a part of her story in coming to know Jesus and how Brian had come to this small town as a pastor, as a single man, and how he had come to know his wife. And they had gotten married as a result. And so his story had then been impacted by Ruth. And he goes on to share how he was listening that week as his wife was counseling with someone on the phone, someone who had been at a church in another city where they had previously served, and this woman was struggling. She had six young kids, and her husband had had a brain tumor. He was in the hospital. And as his wife encouraged this woman with the truth of the gospel. This lady would go on to encourage her children with the truth of the gospel. And he saw how the influence of Ruth Bouillon teaching Sunday school for 60 years continued to live on not only in his wife, but now in this mom who was struggling and would live on in the lives of her children. Your life, your seemingly pedestrian everyday life matters. When it's lived for Jesus. I want to encourage you. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. I needed this this week. Therefore my beloved brothers. Be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. He said in that video that all Ruth had sought to do over those years was simply to teach kids that God loved them. And that God's love was poured into their hearts. And if they would obey God, that God had special plans for their life and that he wanted to use them. And God's work lived on.
And God's work lives on through each of our lives as we know his love and as we share it with others. Would you pray with me and invite the band to come up? Father, thank you for the truth of your gospel. God, thank you for Paul's life that reminds us. It reminds us of the life of one person who's been transformed by the truth of the gospel. God, Paul wasn't a superhero and neither are we. But God, we know that you will use us because the Spirit lives in us. So God, would you help us to experience the love that you have shown us? God, would you remind us of the goodness of your gospel? God, would you remind us that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only does it save us, but God, that it keeps us. And that, God, it keeps us close to you. And God, more importantly, you remain close to us. God, help us to feel your love, to know your love, and to respond to your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We end our service each week celebrating communion and being reminded of Jesus' love for us. So I'm going to encourage our missional communities to circle up. And if you're not part of a missional community, that's fine. You're going to see five little circles begin to form. And we know we're missing a lot of people. There's, uh, I saw a family this morning who has hand, foot, and mouth. And they're having to quarantine because of COVID. There's a lot of people who are in and out. Um, we pray for those people. Remember them. As you circle up, just find a circle that's near you. And as you circle up today and as we conclude our service with communion, I want you to take a moment and just go around and share a way in which you are reminded of God's love for you personally. Maybe it's something small. And uh, something from last week or something you were reminded of this morning. But some way that you've experienced God's love and take a moment to share those before you celebrate communion together. All right, you guys group up. All right, all right, guys. Hey, we're going to uh, we're going to wrap up this morning. You guys uh, you can either find a seat just close to where you are or you can just stand if you'd like. You don't have to get back to your original seats, but I just wanted to finish up this morning. Um, Quick announcements. Uh, It is apparently raining outside, and so we are going to have to cancel our picnic this morning. Uh, So apologies to those of you who prepared uh, picnic lunches and all that. We are likely going to postpone that to next week. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll give you uh, definite details on that, but we're looking like we're, we're going to postpone that to next week. So um, quick announcements before we finish up. Um, reminder, Brad mentioned it, but Saturate the South event on September 18th. Sign up through our website. So you can go to mercyhillmemphis.org to sign up for that event. We want to see you there. We would love to see you there. Uh, we do still have a couple of spots. See Samantha in the back. Samantha, raise your hand. See, Samantha, if you would like to volunteer to work that event, we still need a couple of volunteers, so please see Samantha for that. We're going to wrap up our service this morning with a benediction. Our benediction is found in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 through 8. I'm going to invite you to just extend your hands and receive this word. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, 
whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Thank you guys again for joining us this morning, and you're dismissed.